Hello, everyone. Um, I wanted to introduce our speaker for tonight, Claire uh, Groppman with uh, Karen Atlanta. And Karen Atlanta is near and dear to my heart and my husband's heart um, and my 26-year-old son who was at Karen, Pennsylvania when he was 16 years old. Um, it wasn't an intervention, but yes, he was escorted on a flight and was quite miserable. Um, but fortunately, um, after 30 days, he was one of the few that was able to graduate out of the program versus getting into a 90-day or even further than that. But um, at the time, he didn't quite see the value of it. But at, at this day and time, he will say that Karen saved his life. So Karen is, is near and dear to my heart. Um, so Claire is currently the executive director at Karen Atlanta. And prior to Karen, Claire was director of outpatient services at Peachford Hospital um, and Ridgeview Institute in Smyrna. She has been a psychotherapist for over 28 years and for the last eight years earned certification as a relapse prevention specialist for drug and alcohol use, dis use disorders. Um, and I actually work with Karen and facilitate um, their um, platform like this, except we, we do it on Zoom calls. And, and Claire was with us, oh gosh, it's been back in the spring, I think it was. And she spoke on this, and I thought, well, this will be, be great for uh, Prodigal as well. Um, but she's going to be speaking on the difference between spirituality and, and religion. Um, oftentimes, people struggle with recovery because 12-step meetings lean towards the spiritual, and the word God is frequently mentioned. Those with a negative connotation towards organized religion a history of religious abuse or a lack of understanding about how a higher power can play a role in getting sober will often balk at the role spirituality and community can play in their journey towards recovery. Um, today or tonight, we will brainstorm waves to speak to your loved one about this sensitive and personal subject. And Claire actually also has a private practice right here in East Coast. Good evening, everybody. <laughs> uh, I'm Claire Grotman. Uh, thank you so much for the introduction. I'm like, oh, that's a pretty nice resume. <laughs> oh, that's me. Um, no, I appreciate that. And thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. And as we talk more about the difference between spirituality and religion, I hope that by the time that we're done, say about 45 minutes or an hour from now, you leave with some understanding, some nuggets, some information that you don't know right now. All right. So that's really my goal. And for me, being able to speak to you about this topic, this is a spiritual experience for me. And as I was telling John, because he kind of asked me about this topic and how did I get here and how did I come to work in addiction, it really was kind of a divine nudge moving me in a direction. I was a group therapist at a, a local treatment facility, um, just providing the treatment. And I learned from the patients, I learned from my clients about spirituality and the difference between spirituality and religion and the roadblocks and the obstacles that that were keeping them from recovery, and that was keeping them stuck in multiple relapses and the inability to connect with others. So everything that I'm gonna talk about tonight is coming from this direct experience with people who have struggled with this and how I've kind of brought that knowledge and I use it with clients individually and I use it at Karen Treatment Center here in Dunwoody. So I use it all the time. 
And if you speak with me, uh, whether it's in my private practice or about my own kids or about mm-hmm. anything, it kind of gets thrown in there um, in my daily life as well. And I think it's important to kind of start off with, well, what is it? What is spirituality? It's kind of a vague concept, right? What is it to you when you think about it? You were obviously piqued by this topic, and that's why you're here tonight. So what does it mean to you when you think about its definition um, or what you think about it? What are some ideas that come to mind? There is a higher power. There is a higher power. Yes. Can't go it alone. Can't go it alone. Any other ideas? Anything come to mind? Faith. Faith. Mm-hmm. Okay. And maybe that's one of the reasons why you're here, because you just don't have a clue, right? <laughs> you're just trying to fill in this blank, right? You're here because a loved one is struggling, right? You're here because a loved one is struggling in, in addiction, in substance use, in mental health issues, looking, looking for answers, looking for knowledge, right? Oftentimes, um, as I would treat individuals, they would say, you know, this 12-step stuff, it doesn't work for me. And I'm really turned off when people mention the three-letter word. You know which three-letter word I'm talking about? Right, G-O-D. So I loved getting into it with patients and clients about, well, what does that concept mean to you? And what are the connotations related to that word that keep you from it? I just had this conversation last Friday with a client of mine. I run a women's early recovery group on Friday mornings. And this one participant was talking about how after relapsing and going back into treatment, she finally understands the spiritual component that had been lacking and that contributed to all her previous relapses. And just kind of a good comparison point of how she would bring her body to the places she was supposed to go, but her soul hadn't yet showed up. So she was saying what it was like to say the word God out loud when she had been distant from religion, distant from the practices she grew up with. And she was actually saying it out loud and praying on her own. And she actually said to me, it kind of sounded like a dirty word or a word I wasn't supposed to say because it was so unfamiliar to her. Um, Oftentimes when people go to 12-step meetings, AA meetings, some are more prayerful than others. Some use the God word more than others. And if, some, if people are turned off by that because they haven't heard it before, yeah, this 12-step stuff is not for me. I'm going to find a different way. I'm going to go it alone. Or I'm going to find some other avenue. And there are other avenues. Not everybody gets sober in AA, right? There's smart recovery and some other ways that people use. And I say, whatever works, use it. So I had this conversation with her last week about how she would judge people who were prayerful or who used that word God because they had a comfort in their sobriety that she wasn't able to attain and that was mysterious to her. So she judged them for it. And now she has 
what they had, and now she's comfortable in her sobriety. So that's just kind of a, a, an introduction to one of the things that keeps people from being able to engage in 12-step, right, is this word God. And what is the difference between spirituality and religion? Because people go into meetings think that oh, they're, they're saying the Lord's Prayer or this prayer, so now I'm in this religion or cult or group full of rules that leaves a bad taste in my mouth because I grew up with doctrine and rules and orthodoxy that made me uncomfortable or it was hypocritical, okay? So religion is that. It is orthodoxy, rules, rituals over time created by a group of people, okay? It is a culmination of people that congregate in the same space to worship a higher power, right? And each religion has its own rituals and history, okay? The difference between that and spirituality is that spirituality is more vague, and it's also more personal, and it's more intimate, and it comes from within rather than coming from without. So my definition of spirituality is the belief that I have that I am not the center of the universe. Okay? So it's the light in the bulb rather than the bulb itself. The outside, my physical body, right? Like the outside of the light bulb, okay? The inside, whatever makes that electricity, that's the spirituality of it, okay? The inside. It is the energy that drives recovery because of its connection amongst people, okay? So when you're talking to somebody who has obstacled them out of going to 12-step meetings, because being in addiction and being miserable and being stuck in using is very isolating, okay? Some people say that the opposite of addiction is connection, okay? because it is very isolating. It's just you and your drug of choice. So then the opposite of that is the connection amongst others, okay? So spirituality happens while you are trying to get outside of yourself and you get into others. And that's really what the program, the motion of the program, the locomotion of the program is getting outside of yourself and connecting to others, okay? It's a program of action because it takes action. If I were to ask, can anybody, has anybody in here tasted a mango before? Anybody? Okay, has anybody in here not tasted a mango? Has anybody not ever had a mango? Do you know what fruit I'm talking about? It's really got a huge pit, hard to peel. Has anybody not tasted a mango in here? Everybody's had a mango. All right, can I have a volunteer of who has tasted a mango? 
who would like to tell me, describe to me, what does a mango taste like? I've never had one. Can you tell me what it tastes like? like a peach so then if I had a peach it would be like ex having a mango exactly <laughs> right what else could you tell me if I've never had one fibrous it's fibrous Juicy. that's a good word super sweet right so you could come up with some really good descriptive adjectives but if I have not had direct experience with a mango, I do not have the knowledge of a mango. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. And it, like, unless somebody says that to you, like, can you also tell me what it's like to ride a bike? Because I've never seen one and I've never been on one. Can you tell me about your whole experience so I could live vicariously? Well, you just kind of have to get on the bike. You kind of have to have direct experience of a bike to know what that's like. So we usually don't think about it in those terms, trying to describe what's going to happen to you by working a program until you do it yourself and experience it yourself. Because spirituality is an internal emotional experience. It's a connection that you can't describe until you've experienced it, okay? Until you've experienced it. And it's not until you try to describe what a mango tastes like to somebody who's never had it. Like, well, I can get close because it's a tropical fruit that's fibrous, but it's pretty unique. So it's peach-like, so I can be mango adjacent, but I cannot be directly mango until I have that experience. And then when I have it, I'm like, I get it now. It's delicious. It's my favorite fruit, right? But until I've experienced it, it's kind of like trying to get a computer to tell you what a rose smells like. You can't. It doesn't have the knowledge, the intelligence, right? It's got to be experienced until you smell it. Smell it yourself. So it's an experience. Spirituality is an experience. If we discuss perhaps people's obstacles to spirituality, it is oftentimes their previous experience in their families with their struggle with religion, right? Um, if they grew up with a lot of religion, if they grew up with no religion, if they grew up with some abuse by religion or doctrine, um, or they feel like the religion has failed them or relationship with their higher power has failed them, right? What have been some excuses that, that you have heard? And maybe you've experienced this yourself. Maybe you've, you've left your own um, church that you grew up with and discovered something else when you moved somewhere, you became an adult, you left your previous um, church or home group and decided on another church home, you know? What was it about that? What was it about that experience that got you to change? Was it, you know, maybe the religion that your parents raised you in and you became 18 and you decided you would explore and find out what meshed with yourselves better? 
Has anybody experienced that? Would you like to share what that was like for you or maybe some stereotypes that you had? Yes. So I know you. for me, at a point of looking to understand my religious, spiritual connection, mm-hmm. um, I took time off and almost weekly would try going to different uh, organized religion places of worship. And I was brought up Catholic, and eventually, once I saw all these different places, what took me back to Catholicism was that most of the other places I went to had a platform and a pulpit, and that was it. There was a lot of reading from the Bible versus in typically in Catholic churches, you're always gonna have a cross or a crucifixion. Uh, so that symbolism of Christ on the cross, I deem to be very important to me. Mm-hmm. That was something tangible versus having the word spoken to me. Um, so I needed both visual words, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, and perhaps the history of growing up in that kind of church was comfortable, it was comforting, Um, it was meaningful to you, and you found out that you needed to have that when you were an adult, and you tried other things, but that felt like home to you, You, that felt comfortable to you, right? Um, I think part of the obstacles that a lot of people trying to get sober have is because there was a lot of prayer or maybe there was a lot of exposure to religion when they were growing up and still that did not save them from their addiction or misery or their prayers to God were unanswered. Well, and I think too a lot of people uh, really find God abstract. Yeah. And don't know how to make that into a tangible right right something right and that tangible something is very personal and individual right and, and because people learn different ways you have your visual spatial learner who needs tactile touchy feely to uh, really comprehend the definition of different things versus someone who learns by just listening um and that's why you have so many really creative people who turn to uh, their art to soothe their uh, efforts to be aware of what the emotions are that they're trying to put out, whether it's in music, on tangible artwork, etc. You know, so it's different things for everybody. That's right. That's right. That's another way that spirituality and religion are so different because spirituality is so personal and so individual and perhaps expressive in a different way than the group is expressing their rituals in the moment. Um, 
I like to, as I was telling John earlier, when I was actually doing the treatment, oftentimes the obstacles of recovery would be people who felt spiritually disconnected. In group, we would check in every day. What's their spiritual health? People were either spiritually connected or spiritually disconnected, or I don't even know what that means, right? We don't do a lot of educating around that, (laughs) you know? And probably in a lot of traditional treatment centers, they might not do a lot of education around that. Um, I know at Karen PA, they have a wonderful, um, a wonderful, uh, spiritual advisor, like as a full-time employee, which is amazing, and I don't know if a lot of treatment centers do, but I know when I would do group, I would always talk about that. Um, the reason that you know people struggle with that, most people that come to AA and recovery are agnostic, right? There's a smattering of atheists and then smattering of those who already have a strong religious conviction, but most are agnostic because of what they have been through. That's why there is a chapter in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous called We Agnostics, chapter four. Okay, that book was written in 1939. Hasn't changed much. The disease has not changed much since. It still applies. It's a fascinating read, 1930s language. So it's actually chapter four in the big book of AA, We Agnostics. I love that chapter. The companion to the big book of AA is the 12 and 12, 12-step companion. And it talks about step two, which is believing that a power greater than yourself can restore you to sanity. It's not even sobriety, it's sanity. But I love that little chapter. If you're looking to find out more, how can I talk to my loved one about their spiritual obstacles? Because that is the engine that drives recovery, is spirituality. And it's such a vague concept that it needs a direct experience. So the hope is that you get your loved one into treatment or into some 12-step group or church-based activity or Peace Corps or whatever it's going to be. And the whole point is that they come out different. And then they feel different. And it's that personal evolution on the inside that's a spiritual experience, okay? The way they do it in traditional AA, NA or any of the A's is that not only do you bring your body to meetings and then you're supposed to do some service work. You're supposed to get there early, take the chairs out, clean up, make coffee, wait around afterwards, put the chairs away, clean up, put your shopping carts back, do all kinds of spiritual work that way, service work. That eventually your soul is going to show up if you work the steps, which requires personality change on the inside. Now, I'm not going to bore you with all the 12 steps and what they mean, but it's about personality shift. Okay, which is, do I believe there's something out there that's going to help me more than my ego? Yes. Am I willing to work a program? It's a program of action. It's about forgiveness. It's about taking my own inventory. It's about making amends to the people I've hurt. And then it's about giving back to others. Can I do all that? And if I can do all that and stay outside of my own ego, I'm going to get better because I'm not going to be so self-absorbed and narcissistic. 
I'm going to start giving back. And then when I give back to others, I feel better about myself. So if you're struggling with this conversation with your loved one, like, it's so vague. I spent 20 minutes explaining to you about spirituality. Can you try to talk to someone whose brain is quasi-hijacked by substances about spirituality. It's not going to land well, right? But start with what you know. Let's talk about what we know. You feel better when you're in a group of people like you. Boom. Let's just start there. You feel better when you're a group of people struggling with that thing that you're struggling with. It makes you feel uh, more normal or you know, less on the fringe and less alone. So start with, let's figure out what we know. What we know is you feel better when you're in a group of people like you. Okay. So if step two is believing in something greater than you, how about we make it that? How about that? Anything outside of your own ego is greater than you. So let's start with the group. I know you're mentioning, um, John, a tree. What could your higher power be? Anything that's not your ego. Okay? It could be a really nice tree. It could be just nature. <laughs> it could be nature. I prefer it being like a larger concept, like mother nature or gravity or the universe or the fellowship or whatever room of people that you're in or your big home group it could be it could be anything as long as it's not you because step three is about then turning it excuse me turning it over to that thing which means never making a unilateral decision by yourself that you're going to check with others because your decision making is not on par you need to check with others and that's the higher power life in my hands hasn't been working out so let me trust in something greater than me <clears throat> I am a certified relapse prevention specialist, which is super fancy in saying that I teach people how to take the mystery out of relapse because you can see it coming a mile away. Okay. Not to say like I can look at somebody and know, but I can look at somebody and know and whether or not they're comfortable in their sobriety or not. It's pretty easy. So I teach people about emotional sobriety. I take the mystery out of relapse right? So many things happen before you get to chemical use. There's all kinds of behaviors and things that occur prior to the actual chemical relapse. So I teach people about that. Um, I was trained under this amazing man, Terrence Korsky, and he wrote a ton of textbooks and books on relapse prevention since the 1980s. He's kind of the father of relapse prevention. I say that because in being a guru of recovery, he said that his higher power is actually gravity in the universe. Because he struggled with the God concept too. So I'm like, wow, that guy is really smart. And he knows about addiction and recovery, and that's his higher power. I'm going to start telling people that because that's going to help them. And it has. <coughs> oh, I don't have to do like the God thing or the God that I grew up thing. No, it just it can be anything that's greater than you. What I also suggest when people struggle with God or it feels funny coming out of their mouths because they have funny notions about it or don't think they're allowed to say it after what they've done, what they put people through, I say, well, then just have it be good orderly direction, right? Which is the acronym for God, 
good orderly direction. You can consider it that. Um, or come up with your own name. I had people in group uh, come up with names for their perceived higher power. I remember somebody used the name Juanita. I, just, I remember that. Because you can't forget that. Juanita, Juanita's your higher power? Go for it. Go for it. And people in stream will say, oh, I'll make the doorknob your higher power. You know, just as a kind of a thing to say, it could be anything but you, but doorknobs are dirty, so I wouldn't choose a doorknob. Um, so that's how you kind of steer the conversation with somebody who's struggling with spirituality. It's so hard to describe it until you do it. And that's why we tell people to get sponsors or connect with others that have been there. So you just follow with their footsteps. Eventually you feel different. And then you can describe it as a slow educational spiritual experience. Some people talk about like lightning bolt moments and maybe you've experienced that yourself in your religion and your community, like a lightning bolt awareness or moment where you felt so close to your higher power or to God. But because that's probably rare and doesn't happen very often, we like to talk to people about it being a more slow educational ex uh, spiritual experience. And you know how patient people struggling with substance use are not very patient, right? So they're waiting for it now, serenity now, spirituality now. But it takes work and it takes action. And that's why it's a program of action. Before I continue, does anybody have a question or a comment with what I've shared so far? Does Energy and the universal laws also apply to spirituality. I certainly like that. <laughs> Absolutely. So when you talk about, that's, that's also a beautiful difference right there. Like energy. We can see the lights, right? But can we feel the energy between us? Can you feel it? How about if I stood really close to you? like six inches in your face. Would you feel it then? Would you back up? Uh-huh, then you feel it. So we don't even know we have these energy fields around us, right? But we know when somebody violates us, it makes us feel uncomfortable, especially since COVID, right? It's like, okay, arm's length, buddy. All right, I know, I know some people are close talkers and they enjoy being close talkers. But when we feel when our energy fields are violated, right? We feel it. So I do like that. I believe we have energy. Um, and I do believe that relates to our spiritual connectivity. How does one tap into that, right? If our energy is related to our our relationship with our higher power and our feelings and experience of spirituality. How do I get more spiritual? How does one get more spiritual? It is not in a pill. As much as we would like to believe we could go to our doctors and find it on the street, right? That's what our loved ones might be looking for, right? In, in pill form. How do we get more spiritual? How do we tap into this universal energy and spirit? Well, 
we don't go faster and we do, don't do more things, right? How many things did you do today? Huh. Right? How many things, did, how many meetings? Did you go to work? Did you go to the grocery store? Did you make dinner for your family and then you came here? And then you have to hit Publix on the way home and then pick up your prescription at Walgreens, right? <laughs> how many things do we do in it? We do a lot of things, a lot of things. And that's when we feel productive, right? But that's not feeling spiritual. It's actually the opposite. Spirituality is slowing down. Meditation, meditation and prayer. I practice a lot of meditation with my clients. And when I cover group at Karen, I always throw in a meditation in there. You gotta slow down. You gotta slow down to speed up your spiritual energy, right? I kind of, the way that I think about it, and I'm not always great at this, and I don't wanna say, oh, I'm so spiritual. Like, it's practice, that's why they call it spiritual practice, right? I really do try to meditate. It's really hard when you're a working mom and you have two jobs and you're doing all these other things and going all the places and doing all the things. But that's why I like to do it with my clients because then I'm doing it too. So it's kind of selfish, just a little bit. Because it makes me slow down because I close my eyes too. And they also think it's weird if I'm staring at them while we're doing guided meditations. I love guided meditations because my brain is busy and I need to focus. So I teach people meditation is also practice. Okay, How to close your eyes, how to calm your body, how to just listen to my voice and tap into an energy that's available to you only if we put your ego to the side. Only if we put your monkey mind to the side. And you know what I mean by monkey mind? Okay. How many of you right now are having 12 thoughts at the same time? Right? I'm here, but I'm also thinking about what just happened and what I have to do. And, oh, yeah, I like those shoes, and I got to get winter boots, and I got to pick up lemons on the way home. And Right? We're everywhere. So... That's our monkey mind, always trying to get our attention of the demanding ego, the stuff we got to do, the stuff we need to do to perform. That is not being in a spiritual moment or being spiritually connected. If you could practice meditation, and it's very similar to prayer, okay? Um, oftentimes, when I worked in my first treatment center, before I did group, I would put a quote on the board because I love quotes. I love snarky funny, on-point, impactful quotes. I would put it on my big um, whiteboard, and then I would pray. I would pray for the health of my family, my kids, my patients. Let me do a good job today. And then I would be quiet, and I would meditate. I would meditate on my words so I can let it sink in. I kind of feel like Everybody listen to the radio on the way home. Like, do you listen to NPR or WSB? Or anybody still listen to the radio? Okay, I know. Like, young people are like, "What's what's the radio? What's that sound coming through?" Because you know, podcasts. And I don't listen to podcasts. But I'm just, um, so what about AM? Is there still AM radio? <laughs> Does anybody listen to that? Sports. 
Oh, Sirius XM. See? See, that's a whole different the whole different realm. Yeah, yeah. But AM, before there was Sirius Radio, you had to listen to like AM to get your your news, the traffic, the weather, right? And it was like, oh, let me, you know, get in between the dial on these two things and hold it and then I can hear it, right? I kind of think of it as when we're meditating or when we're in prayer, when we're trying to get in the zone of being spiritual and feeling spiritually connected, we have to be tuned in. So the waves are always happening, but if we're on the wrong channel, we're not going to be able to hear it. So how do we do that? Well, it's not, not in this microwave Instapot society. Have you ever yelled at your Keurig to go faster? Right? Put in the pod. Come on, I got to go to work. It's like two seconds. Right? Everything faster, faster, faster. So being spiritual is actually slowing down so we can be in our spiritual energy and be tuning into the right channel so you can hear what you want to hear. Right? If you want to get FM waves, you can't be tuned into AM. You're not going to hear them. They're always happening and always available to you, but you have to tune in to the right the right channel but it takes practice it's very hard to focus and slow down that's why I like guided meditation because then I focus on someone else's words instead of my own thoughts and it's outside me so that's what I usually do with my clients and the patients in group I just just listen to me it's really hard to just be silent you know we don't have to be monks in a monastery they are really great at meditation because they practice every day for hours but we don't have to do that we can practice with a guided meditation and if you want to learn more about how to do that you can talk to me after and I'll recommend some good apps and some good practices for that Um, so we were getting on the how to talk to your loved one about spirituality and their avoidance of the God word and no, I don't like going to the meeting because they talk too much about that and because it probably makes them feel uncomfortable maybe it makes them feel bad about themselves maybe they feel betrayed by God God didn't help me when I asked for all those prayers or like you mentioned um, I think you mentioned Joe there's like it's not tactile I can't feel it or see it That's also a difference between religion and spirituality. You can go to your church and you you can see it, feel it, you can smell it, right? (laughs) Doesn't it have a certain... Yeah, a certain scent and all churches or places of worship or even just buildings have a certain smell to them. And it could be either comforting or not comforting. Um, So it depends. But it's tactile. It's concrete. This church... My religion is concrete. It is rules. It is history, orthodoxy over time. It is a place. It's got people in charge, right? So it's concrete. Spirituality cannot be verified with the senses. And how do we feel about that in which we cannot verify with our senses? I don't don't believe in it. I don't believe in that. Unicorns? No. Right? So if I can't see it, smell it, touch it, taste it, forget it. 
But if you try to say, oh, but you'll feel it. If you do these 12 things, you'll feel it. Yeah, how much money? How much money you got, right? These 12 steps, if you could do these 12 steps, you'll feel it. Nah, I don't believe you, right? That's why the program works, because it's a group of people doing it. And you hear testimony. You all know about testimony, hearing people's testimony. Oh, if it worked for him, maybe that'll work for me. And maybe I get a mentor and I just walk in the steps that he took to do that thing. He's got the kind of sobriety that I want. I want that too. So maybe I should just do what he did to get what he got. And that's how the program works. It's kind of like observational learning or mirroring. Because you can't verify it with your senses. You just see people happy, joyous, and free. And they go, I want to be like that guy. Okay. Are you willing to do what that guy did? Well... Maybe half of it. Yes, Joe. We also have people that don't want the negative consequences that they've had up to a certain point. Then they get their aha. Well, like, I don't want, I don't want to feel that. I don't want to go to jail. I don't have to deal with the courts, and on and on and on. So my other option is to at least try going to meetings, etc. Yeah, yeah. So what you're saying is they might be forced to do it. It's an external motivation. They're externally motivated. And trust me, there are people in our program that are in treatment maybe because their spouse wanted them to or their parents because we do have an adolescent program and we are the only addiction-focused adolescent substance use IOP in Atlanta and we are not full for many reasons that I will get to later (laughs) off mic Um, but yes external motivation is what you're talking about if somebody's forcing me I'm going to partially pay attention right my spouse the legal system I got a DUI I have to do treatment now um, external motivation. I got cirrhosis. Eh. All right, I'll get my doctor to keep prescribing to me if I go here. So the hope is, because our program is 12 weeks, that there's a shift that happens. And it's peer-influenced. And this is the power of the peer group and the power of community. Because the most, most of the people that come to us are voluntary. They want to be there. They're actually paying for the service for us to help them. Sitting in a group is a spiritual experience because you're around people that want the same thing and have similar issues and can relate to you and for the first time you feel seen, you feel heard. So you hope that if it starts out externally motivated, which is so funny that you should say that, Joe, um, I, I do a lot of the assessments, meaning the initial interviews when people come into treatment and that's a question on the assessment. Are you internally or externally motivated to be here? People are so honest. (laughs) They really are. And then we have young adults, and they're usually, well, my mom, she's going to stop paying my cell phone bill if I don't come. She's going to kick me out of the house if I don't come. I'm like, that's okay. We'll take you however you are. However you show up, get your body here. 
because something happens between week six and eight, they start getting internally motivated. I like how I feel when I'm here. We don't care how you get here, just get here. Something happens in the middle. I kind of like these people. That guy's kind of like me. You know, that guy asked me to go to a meeting with him, and that's really cool because I don't have any friends. And I've just been sitting in my room alone, smoking weed all day long, every day, and this is better. I feel better. I can think. Maybe I'll go back to school. That happens a lot. So you hope that if it starts off with external motivation, it shifts to internal. We can also say that internal shift is a spiritual experience, right? It went from me to we. It went from my mom made me to, gosh, I'm so glad I came because I found myself. And now I have clarity of mind. So we don't care if they're externally motivated, you know. We'll get people coming in because they're getting a divorce because they're drinking. And in order for them to see their kids, they have to be sober. Great, we'll take you. Come on in. Throw them to the, to the herd of people and then the group has their way with them that's a spiritual experience you know and I'm so lucky that I get to do it Monday through Friday (laughs) I I really feel blessed to be at the job that I'm at Um, I have a history of working in psychiatric hospitals and um, there was a time where I was focused more on the psychiatric realm but when I segued over to the addiction I was like oh this is so cool there's a hope and an energy that drives it and I'm so happy to be part of it I'm sorry Jackie you had your hand up I'm sorry with your experience and your observation you 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 know referring to spirituality and religion those that are spiritual have you seen or heard that their spirituality is their interpretation their opinion of faith, of the Bible, or whatever they may be studying or not studying, versus religion, which they may have this opinion, it's organized. There's someone standing up there directing me, giving me their opinion, when I can sit there and I can read something and I have my own opinion. Has that ever come into play as to why, you know, some people are <coughs> spiritual versus the, the indoctrination, the organized religion? That's a good word, indoctrination. I like it. Um, Yeah, that has happened before. I have had people in my group who were very religious. And, I mean, doctrine, Bible, very adherent. And then they came to treatment. And with that knowledge and that background, they were, you, you kind of use like reinterpret, like interpreted in a different way. There's actually, I'm trying to think of what it's called. I used to know this when I worked at my first treatment center. Maybe the Life Recovery Bible, it's called. But it actually takes the Bible and relates it to the big book of A and the steps, and it puts it together. I remember this gentleman had it, it was super thick. It was really big, but because he had his beliefs and his history and what made him comfortable in his religion, he figured, I feel like it's a marrying of the two. And because there was this tool, the Life Recovery Bible, that mirrors and um, brings the two together, it was easier for him to use that to segue, to, to use this to get sober. And what I remind people is, however you were religious before, even if you're 
when people come in and they have a belief in a higher power or they have a, a religious um, background, like it's super easy for me. Like I don't, there's no obstacles. But what I what I tell them is that however you were religious and practicing before, you're going to have to deepen it, internalize it, and use it in a different way because it did not keep you sober with what you were doing prior to today. So we have to figure out how to deepen that relationship, how to change that relationship, how to use it differently because it got you to this point. So something's got to be different. And so people come from all different starting points, all different. So I appreciate that. Thank you. If you're interested in learning more about it, of course I'm going to hang out and you can ask me any questions, ask me any individual or more personal questions. But if you're wanting to know more about this topic, uh, some things that you can read in order to talk to your loved ones about their hesitance, because this usually is the number one reason why people struggle to recover, is because, oh, AA is such a cult or it's too religious, or I don't like all that God talk. You know, they do all these prayers and it just puts a bad taste in my mouth because of whatever. Usually, you know, rebelliousness or, as I mentioned before, sometimes we have um, encountered people who have been religiously abused, and I don't just necessarily mean like sexual abuse, that a small portion have encountered that, but I mean how their parents or the institution used rules and doctrine to shame that person, so they felt ashamed, right? So it's taking that, even without that, there's so much shame in addiction, so much shame. So helping somebody break out of that shame and get to self-forgiveness is important. Things um, to read that are helpful, there is a book called The Spirituality of Imperfection. And it is written in the structure of many stories about spirituality, okay? Through time and historically, little stories about spirituality. It is common in the treatment realm to have that book available for people to read. It's called The Spirituality of Imperfection because it is a matter of imperfection, isn't it? Another tool is the Big Book of A that I mentioned, which you can get online for like 10 bucks. <laughs> okay, Chapter 4 on We Agnostics and its companion, the 12 and 12. If you read that, um, chapter two, I love how it says there's a hoop that you need to jump through, but it's wider than you think. So you just have to walk through and it'll be revealed. That's why step two says came to believe. You just have to be on your way. And when you describe that to people, oh, you mean I don't have to believe right now? I could just be open? Yes. So... Um, we like shades of gray. <laughs> We're not black and white. And when you tell that to people, like, oh, you don't have to do it this way. You're going to find your own way. So the hoop that you need to jump through is wider than you think and open to interpretation. Okay. So the 12 and 12, the big book of AA, the spirituality of imperfection. And I happen to love 
this book by Dr. Wayne Dyer, and it's called There's a Spiritual Solution to Every Problem. I just love it. I love the language that he uses, and um, he talks a lot about energy that you brought up. Um, so that is called There's a Spiritual Solution to Every Problem, and I really do enjoy that book, and I have my clients read that book. Okay. Do you all have any questions or comments right now from what I've shared? Anything else? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, Claire, this is a, a very technical question, but I like the analytical side of it. What's, what's the magic between six and eight? You know, a lot of times you hear, you know, habits are formed by doing it three times in a row. What's, what's, the, what's the six to eight if, where, where they go from the external to the internal? Oh, are you talking? What's the shift? Are you talking about action steps? Or are you talking about steps? Well, you said something about going from external to internal. Oh, to oh, six to eight weeks. Yes. Gotcha. Thank you. I was thinking steps because I could totally get yeah, into that with you because I love talking about step work. But um, the six to eight weeks. So we have a twelve week program. So with the adults, it's usually mid to three quarter point where they're like, you know what, this is a pretty cool place. I feel safe here. These are my people. Um, they've probably met up on the outside and went to some meetings together, and they like coming. It's oh, And this has always been my experience in the treatment realm. People don't want to be here. Even if they voluntarily came, they don't really want to have to be there for the reason that they're there. But there's a shift that comes from sitting in your authentic self with other people that are being real and having real conversations. There is an intimacy in group therapy. There is, I feel seen and heard and valued and validated for the first time with my struggles. Now I started off doing groups uh, on the psych side and so most folks would come in with depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder. And um, of course, outside of that group, they felt abnormal and ostracized and like pariahs and something's wrong with me. But now they were in a group of people exactly like themselves for the first time. And they felt normalized and validated. And that's the same in the addiction realm. Because there's this power and energy that happens in group. When somebody sits across from you who kind of looks like you, kind of has your history and background, and says the thing that you were thinking, and I was like, yeah, me too. And there's something about the yeah, me too that makes me feel better about myself, right? So you have to believe that you are worth recovery in order for it to work. It's the only solution available to you if you want it. If you want sobriety, you can have it, but you have to feel like that you're worth it and you're worth doing the work. So identification in the other is so important. Oh, that guy's like me, so he's pretty cool. Maybe I'm okay. You know. So that's the power that happens between week six and eight with the kids, because we do teens 14 to 18, and they are special. It takes a little longer while the adults just because frontal lobe is not developed, not uber mature, their brain's been hijacked a little bit more. It, it takes longer, but it does happen. So 
the teens are usually with us about 16 to 20 weeks, while the adults are there usually around 12. Mm -hmm. So it takes a little longer. And while they might initially come in, this place stinks and I hate it and I hate going here, eventually they don't want to leave. I mean, we've had kids like, oh, can I stay around? Well, clinically, it's not appropriate. <laughs> but that's why we have alumni. We have alumni groups on Thursday nights. You can come back and be a part of alumni. Um, so that's what happens, that shift, which I think is a spiritual experience. Shift is another word for spiritual experience. I'm coming in kicking and screaming, and now I don't want to leave. And the same with the adults, because it becomes a safe place. Think about how many safe places you have where you go, and there's people just like you that get you. You don't have to pretend you're somebody else. You don't have to think about, oh, let me say the right thing so they don't judge me you know, which is everywhere else, right? You're in a group of peers, and they get you, and they understand you, and they accept you, and that's pretty cool. So that's the shift mm-hmm. that kind of happens. Yeah. Thanks for asking that. So as I say, here, keep coming back. <laughs> we say, I know. I think I just said that yesterday, too. They say that in meetings, right? Girl, keep coming back. It's your first AA meeting. You're not spiritually changed yet, but keep coming back, and it'll happen. If you, if you do the work, if you do the work. Thanks so much, everybody. I really appreciate you being here, listening to me. I'm going to shut this off. And then if you all have any questions, thank you so much.